Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? I hope that you're having a great day. I don't know where you're at, where you're listening in from, but where I'm at here in Newcastle, it's been uh it's been a it's been a bit cold for the last two weeks. I've been freezing. Somebody said to me this morning, my my dear friend Ruth, if she's listening, she said to me this morning that somebody was talking about how you know they'd been from England and they were talking about the cold and and how it was much colder in England and at least they didn't have to deal with the snow. And she she, she was saying, you know, at least we don't have to deal with the snow, right? It's cold, but at least there's no snow. And I thought to myself, and I actually said, I was like, no, no, if it's going to be this cold, it might as well snow. So at least there's some there's some sort of fun involved. <laughs> Ah, but anyway, I'm trying to keep warm. I'm wearing a, a bit of a scarf today, which is uh, pretty unusual. So I uh, hope that you're keeping warm out there. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Super excited about what we're doing. We're going to continue our series on Exodus, following the story of Moses. And the story is just getting thick and dramatic. It's getting intense. We've got Moses going to be talking to Pharaoh today for the first time in the story, and it's uh, it's going to be good. So keep your hats and glasses on for that one. We've also got our friend Vani Chu coming in for our Testify segment to tell us a little bit about what God has been doing in her life. We've also got our discussion topics, opportunities for you to get involved today. And there are two ways that you can get involved during the show. We'd love to have you involved. And that is one, to get involved with our discussion topic. And our discussion topic for today is... What is, oh wait, hold on, I wrote the wrong thing down. Oh, I deleted it. It is something about your mansion. What is your mansion going to look like in heaven, based on that promise in John 14? And uh, I'm very much looking forward to sharing my insights on that one and my thoughts on that one. Uh, so what is your mansion going to be like in heaven? And the other way that you can get involved in to today's program is, we would love to hear from you to call or text in with any questions that you have that you'd like us to try and unpack from Scripture or questions about God, questions about faith, about spirituality. Could be a big question, could be a little question, could be theological, could be practical. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to call in and get your two cents in on the discussion topic or send in a question, and by the way, the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a book, and you'll have to hang out a little bit, and I will tell you after the break what that is going to be, our first caller-in prize giveaway for question of the week. Please note that the uh, the prize giveaway is for question of the week, and you can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. This is Sixpence None the Richer, Beautiful Scandalous Night. Crimson perpetual tide Kneel down on the shore Be thirsty no more Go under and be purified Follow Christ to the holy mountain Sinner sorry and wrecked by the fall Cleanse your heart and your soul Tree. 
dark crimson perpetual tide Kneel down on the shore Be thirsty no more Go under and be purified This is Robbie Morgan on Real Faith. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it's come that time of the show where we're going to talk about some weird and wonderful facts about the world that God has made. And, um, well, today we're actually talking about some of the things that the people that God has made have made. Does that make sense? Anyway, all right, so how are you today, Shell? I'm good. I'm looking forward to the weird and wonderful. Excellent. All right, so quick question. Have you ever been to Egypt no. Me either. So today's going to be educational for both of us good, good, good. and hopefully for, for you out there as well. So we're going to be talking a bit today because we're talking about the story of the Exodus. And at the moment, bricks have a little bit to do with the story. And seeing as there are some, some fantastically large structures in Egypt that are quite famous that are made of bricks, I thought uh, we might learn a little bit about those. Any idea what those might be? Dun, dun, dun. Are they squares? Um, they are kind of square. Are they pyramids? Yes. Hey, <laughs> good guess. All right. So let's do some fun facts about the ancient pyramids, the pyramids of Giza. All right. Did you know that the pyramids of Giza are the only remaining of the seven ancient wonders of the world? Yeah. I probably, Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they are. They are. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a fact. I read it on the internet. <laughs> uh, something true. else that's super interesting. Did you know that the tallest one is over 400 feet tall? That is over 100 meters tall. I'm doing some calculations in my head. It's probably like 130 to 140 meters tall. Yes. That's pretty cool. Considering the way that they were made, that is incredibly cool. Incredibly cool. And, um, the the you know, I love... I got to put it out there. I, like education's fun and uh, school's great, but I sometimes like when people who are in those scholarly positions don't know the answers to things because it kind of demonstrates that we don't know the answers to everything. There's still questions, still things to learn. And um, did you know that we actually have no idea still how in the world they made those structures? If you look at the facts about what what the the blocks are. The Great Pyramid, the biggest one in Giza, is thought to be constructed. They estimate that it is over 2 million stone blocks that range from 2 tons to over 50 tons in weight. Those are some big stones. Those are some big, big monolithic-looking bricks. Like these are huge. 
right? These are huge pieces of stone. This is incredible. So how in the world do you, do you build that? How do you move them? Yeah, how do you move them without the technology that we have today? How do you get those chiseled out? Where do they get them from? How do you lift one on top of another? Yeah, there's all sorts of questions, and we still don't know. And I love this. Mm -hmm. I love this because sometimes we get really caught up in in our modern, we think we're the best kind of mentality, and we think, man, nobody in the olden times knew how to do anything. But the reality is we we don't know how to modify a structure and make something that's going to last that long even now, right? Like we don't know how to how to make our structures in such a way that they'll last that long. Anyway, sorry, this is a bit of a tirade me on uh, (laughs) liking that sometimes we don't know things. Um, Some other fun facts. Did you know that all of the pyramids in Egypt were based, situated on the west bank of the River Nile? Any ideas on why that might be? No idea. So it has something to do with their, their beliefs about the realm of the dead, which they had a lot of interesting thoughts on. Not very biblical thoughts, that's for sure. Um, but they would have them on that side because that's where the sun would set in the evening, and they wanted them to be focused and pointed towards that place where the sun was setting. Also, here's a fun fact. Uh, have you ever, oh, question, have you ever been caving before or spelunking, if you want to do a nice American term? You ever gone in a cave? I have, I have. Okay, yes. was was it winter or summer? Was it hot or cold outside when you went caving? It was... Uh, outside. Sort of, yeah, it was warmish. It wasn't full summer, but okay. it was, yeah. It okay, was so if it was warm outside, was the cave cooler than the outside cooler, temperature? Much cooler. Well, what's fascinating is in caves, the air temperature kind of remains fairly consistent throughout the year, to my knowledge. And the reason for that, I don't fully know. I imagine that it's insulated by the earth. But what's fascinating is in winter, you'll go into a cave and it's warmer than the air outside. You go in in summer, it's cooler than the air outside. And the pyramids are similar. Did you know that the temperature inside the pyramids remains a constant 20 degrees Celsius no matter the temperature outside? That's pretty crazy. That's very 20 cool. degrees Celsius. So there's some fun facts for you about the pyramids, and we're going to be learning a little bit more about other bricks that are involved in Egypt. So stick around for that. This is Randy Travis, Above All. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nations, and all creative things, above all wisdom, and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began, above all kingdoms. Above all thrones, above all wonders this world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified. Laid behind a stone You live to die Rejected and alone Like a rose Trampled on the ground You took the fall And thought of me Above all 
above all powers, above all kings, above all nations, and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders this world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, lay behind the stone. You live to die, rejected and alone like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. Laid behind the stone You live to die Rejected and alone Like a rose Trampled on the ground You took the fall And thought of me Above all Like a rose You took the fall and thought of me above all. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. And uh, we have just come to just a part of the show that I really, really appreciate. And that's the testify segment of our show. And uh, I love this part because we get to hear what God has been doing in the, the lives of present day people. Because I'm just amazed at the fact that God is alive, God is real, and He is good, and He is working. And I find it so encouraging to hear how He's doing that. So today we've got our friend Vonnie Chu. Are you there, Vonnie? I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Awesome. Well, it's lovely to have you here on the show, Vonnie. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you coming from? What do you do with yourself? Sure. Uh, so I work at a Christian media uh, company called Adventist Media in Sydney. And I've had a few roles. I've been in um, writing magazines, editing magazines, producing a TV show, and now I'm working in the marketing and fundraising space. Wow, that's super cool. Super cool to be involved in that kind of ministry where you're able to get material out to people. Um, that's awesome. Very cool way yeah, to be spreading absolutely. the gospel. Awesome. Well, I'm super absolutely. excited to hear from you today. What's the, what's the, the story that you've got for us or the, I, I actually have no idea what you're telling us, but I'm super excited to hear how God's been working in your life. Sure. Uh, well, yeah, I've got a pretty cool, st- well, I think it's a pretty cool story. Um, last November, I was um, driving just on my way to pick up a friend, and then a car hit me. 
uh, hit my car and then bounced it across two roads of traffic and then into some steel gates. So it was a pretty nasty accident. Um, Airbags got deployed. um, Car was a write-off. And, yeah, I guess just learning how to deal with all of that was quite a journey. I bet. I bet. Wow. That's hectic. And so, so what, yeah. yeah, how did, how did that, what, like, what was that experience like that, like that would have been pretty traumatic, I imagine. Yeah, it was definitely quite traumatic. So I had to go to hospital. They put me on morphine and endone and all that other fun stuff. And I was stuck on pain medication for um, a few weeks and at the end of it, having to wean off it as well. And during that time, you know, there was a little bit of resentment going on inside my head, like, how come I'm going through all of this? And the other guy, you know, he walked away without a scratch. His car was fine. You know, there was a little bit of, um, yeah, resentment going on in my head, thinking, what's going on, God? Why? This isn't fair. Yeah, fully. There are lots of situations that happen in life where that seems to be the experience we have. So how how did Absolutely. God... Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, how did God um, bring oh, sorry, you through yeah. that? Yeah, Are you I was, asking? Yeah, that's what I was asking. And then you, uh, it was a bit of delay on the phone for me. Sorry. Yeah, so how how was God able to bring you through that experience? Sure. Um, look, I really thought about the experience and then I realized that, you know, the only one who can actually say that they didn't deserve anything in this life was Jesus. Like, Jesus lived a perfect and blameless life mm-hmm. and he didn't deserve anything wrong to happen to him, yet for our sakes, for for the love of us as people, he took the sin of the world on his shoulders and he was willing to um, go to the cross for us. And when I thought about that, I just got so humbled thinking, you know, who am I to be able to judge this guy when Jesus has done so much in my life already? I love it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so um, what is it? Well, that's a this is a great story. I love I love the fact that God was able to help you through that by by pointing you to the cross, that that picture of God selflessly doing that for each person, um, who even for the people who will never, ever respond in kind, is, is just something that yeah. really helped you through that circumstance. That's amazing. Is there, yeah, and I mean, it's something that continues to blow my mind as a Christian each day, that this kind of unconditional love is available to just anybody, and mm-hmm. all we have to do is be willing to accept it. I love that. I love that. Well, on that note, is there anything that you'd like to share specifically with our listeners out of your experience? Anything that you'd like them to take away from today? Yeah, sure. Uh, Look, I guess the main thing to think about is that things are going to happen in this life that aren't good. Mm. You know, we traditionally, I think in a secular world, we grow up with this idea that Bad things happen to bad people. Good things should happen to good people. But in reality, none of us is good. You know, we are only good because of what Jesus has done for us. So don't be discouraged if things seem tough, if, you know, that job situation or relationship situation doesn't seem to be going the way that you want. Just remember that ultimately God is in control, that he knows what's best for each one of us and that he loves us and that he has... um. Yeah, he desires to bring us through anything, and all we need to do is ask him. I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful take home for us today. Well, thank you so much, Vani, for coming on the show today and for sharing what God has been doing in your life. May God bless you and, and your continued ministry. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I don't. 
Hey everyone, we're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Bracky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. Sweetest days of childhood Playing in the deep woods Stomping through the creek And feeling oh so much alive Camping in the forest We join the cricket chorus And hum our songs of gratitude Around a crackling fire And out here in the stillness I found my house of worship With column trees and canopy of stars Here in my cathedral It was beneath the blue skies I ran down to be baptized I felt the river wash me clean And dried beneath the sun To this day believing Wide awake or dreaming I scan the ancient sky And understand where I belong Cause out here in the stillness I find my house of worship With column trees and canopy of stars Here in my cathedral This is where I find my soul Out where holy men of old First knelt and saw And thanked you for the rain Wrote the psalms that filled the air Herald angels sang their prayer Out beneath your darling constellations So let me often wander Robin's song and thunder Surrounding me with stained glass leaves That change with every breeze And out here in the stillness I'll find my house of worship With column trees and canopy of stars Here in my cathedral You're listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. Wow, we're so super excited to have you back. So, 
was that was mid sentence and I sounded like I was going to sneeze or something. Anyway, Shell, we've got a discussion topic, and I've if, as far as I know, we've had quite a huge response to our discussion question for this week. And uh, our question this week is, and it's an interesting question, one that I have. Uh, you will find out my opinions on it later. And uh, the question is, well, what is the question, Shell? Oh, you're not on air. You're not. You got to unmute yourself. I got there we you go. on that Sorry. one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the question was for for the discussion this week. Um, what will your mansion be like in heaven? Awesome. And so we've come up with. I've seen. Uh, I, had, I, yeah, I saw some of them before. Responded, and I'll just read out a couple of them that are a little bit similar here for our first for our first one. Um, so Claire says, as long as I'm with Jesus, I'm happy to sleep on the grass. I like sleeping on the grass anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Hal said, my mansion can be a tent as long as I am face-to-face with Jesus. That will be my mansion. Love it. I love it. Yep. And Let's give us one more. Okay. We've got time for All one more. All I know for sure is it will have glitter and a lot of it, Wendy says. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Super interesting. Well, thank you guys for your, for your thoughts, and I look forward to hearing some more of your thoughts. Um, interesting. I love – one thing that I really love in that is that I think the, the first two particularly there really hit something that I think is, is the point. Eternity would, would be nothing without Jesus. And I think that – like, like sometimes people talk about heaven and this idea of all of this stuff, but i got to tell you, man, life, life, if, if life went on forever as it is now, I wouldn't want to live forever. Like there's, there's too much difficulty. There's too much challenge in the world that we live in. It's a fallen, broken place. But the idea that Jesus is going to restore things to good and to holy and to pure, that there will be no more hate, that there will be no more pain or suffering, that there will be no more temptation, that, that picture with Jesus as a part of it is the only thing that makes eternal life look good to me. And so I, I can really I can really resonate with that. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's, it can be a mansion. It can be a hole in the ground. As long as I get to hang out with Jesus and I get to be in that world, that sounds like a beautiful place to be. I love it. Look forward to hearing some more. If you'd like to get in your two cents on that, you can do so by texting or calling 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And I just want to put out there that if you want to call in for our question of the week, there's still time to get that in. We have a portion at the end of the show where we answer your questions to the best of our ability, and uh, we would love to hear from you. You can do that by calling in the same number, 491 or texting as well. All right, so we're going to jump to Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to hop right into our Bible study, and we're going to start off with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to access your word You don't have to be a theologian to be able to access the truth of who Jesus is in Scripture. And I'm just so grateful, Lord, for your word that has the power to transform our lives. We pray that your spirit who inspired that word would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've got a Bible, I invite you to follow along to the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 5 is where we're starting off today, and it continues on from our story last week. So Moses has, has arrived in Egypt. He has gone to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and he has shown them some of the signs that God had given them to give him evidence, to give them evidences that it was he who had spoken to Moses and to send him to be the person to redeem them, so to speak, or to lead them out of slavery. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 starts, 
Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So one thing that I think is really fascinating, just right off the bat in this story, number one, Moses and Aaron going in to speak to Pharaoh is a huge deal. Like this is going to uh, arguably the most powerful nation in the world perhaps at the time and going to the leader of this person. He's coming back knowing that his his past history is one that perhaps has been passed on to this Pharaoh. He may or may not know of Moses. He may or may not have heard of him. He may not recognize that this is the same guy who was sent out by probably his father who was the Pharaoh before him. And um, it's just super fascinating to be able to go into that space would take a lot of courage. You would have to have faith that God was with you to even seek for an encounter with this guy specifically for the purpose of asking him to let his army of slaves go free to go do this thing, which sounds pretty shady. Let's be real. Let us go three days into the wilderness. He's probably got some questions. And it, it begs the question, why would why would you need to go three days wilderness to do the sacrifices? And what's interesting to note is that the Egyptians worshipped a lot of gods. They had a pantheon of deities they believed in, and many of them were associated with animals. One of those was called Apis, I believe, according to the historian Herodotus, and that God was represented by a bull. So bulls and cows were considered sacred to the followers of Apis, and for them to be able to offer the sacrifices as God calls for in the Old Testament includes cows and cattle, and this would have been offensive to them. So it's it's just interesting to note that little bit of information. But they bring this forward to him, and I think that Pharaoh's words are very telling of his perception of his power. And it's very fascinating to read. He says, who is the Lord, right? When when God has spoken to Moses, he said, to, he responds to God and says, well, well who am I going to tell them when I go to Israel? And I'm like, hey, God spoke to me out in the wilderness. He said, I'm going to come and set you free from slavery. Who, who am I going to tell them? No one's going to believe me, right? Like, why didn't God just show up to all of Israel? Isn't it interesting that God seems to always operate in this way that incorporates an amount of, of uncertainty where you have to step out and take a chance based on not uh, exhaustive evidence, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like Moses sees the burning bush. He sees that, and he hears the voice of the angel of the Lord, but nobody else gets to see it. They have to take it on Moses' word. That's a pretty big ask. And so that whole conversation ensues. But what's fascinating is that, that and, and he gives them some evidences to give them the miracles that we've just heard about last week, et cetera. But what's fascinating is he says his name. And this name would have been obscure to Pharaoh. He's not heard of this deity, Yahweh, the Lord, right? And so he says, who is the Lord? Who is this Yahweh that you're talking about? I, I haven't heard of him. Is, oh, is, is he the God of your people, Moses? I mean, your, your people who are in slavery to my people. Is this is this the puny little god, this little deity who your people worship? Is that is that who that is? And the the insinuation that he puts there is just laced with disbelief. It's laced with a position of 
who, who do you think you are? And who does your, your so-called God think that you are? I mean, what kind of power do you have? You're coming to me to ask permission to go away. Who, who is this Yahweh? What are you threatening me, Moses? Right? Like this is the kind of persp- this is what I hear in my head. This is the voice that I can hear Pharaoh saying. And then he goes this and he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Right? Why should I obey this, this God? Don't you know who I am? I'm the Pharaoh. I'm the king of, I'm the king of Egypt. I'm like the son of the gods. I am, I am the one. And who do you think you are? Your people have to do what I say. And then he says, I do not know the Lord. He says, I don't know this. I don't know this God. I don't know him. And what's fascinating is, oh, he's about to find out who that Lord is. And you're going to see this theme come throughout the next number of chapters that this idea of knowing the Lord becomes a significant part of the story. And so he says, I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And at this point, Moses and Aaron probably would have felt the fear and the temptation, be like, well, all right, we dried. Let's pack up and get out of here. That didn't go so well. And I love this. In the midst of that kind of response, Moses and Aaron speak back to him, and they say, hey, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go into the, into the wilderness. Let us go this journey, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and sword. And I love that what they're saying here is, we are not afraid of you, Pharaoh. We choose to be in fear of our God rather than in fear of you. We trust him rather than trusting in you.
spread of life so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. And we uh, are going to go back to a little bit more of our discussion questions. So our discussion topic for this week, remember, you can call in with your response or text in. We'd love to hear from you, too. And the question is, what is your mansion going to be like in heaven? And it's it's funny. I we chose this. Well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little bit of beef on the table right now, so that we can yeah, have a little. You need a little bit of politics in the in the radio, <laughs> or, or no one wants to listen. So when Shell suggested this question, I'm putting I'm dobbing her in. Shell suggested this question. I was like, this is a terrible question. We mean mansions. That's a mistranslation. That's just what the King James says. That's not what the Greek says. So let's hear some more about this, and we're gonna you're gonna hear a little bit later what my thoughts are on it. Okay. Not so, that my thoughts are the golden standard, by the way. <laughs> no, mine are. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bron says, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Can't imagine how beautiful, peaceful, safe, clean, and welcoming it will be. Beautiful. I love it. That's a great point. Yeah. It's better than you could ever think or imagine or ask. That's awesome. Yeah. Any more? Oh, you want gonna... another one? Okay. Just one, one more quick one if you've got one. Okay. This one is from Javis, and he says, No way, with lots of whys. <laughs> <laughs> that mansion I would love is impossible to make here, but if Jesus is preparing one for each person, no human language will be able to explain it. Unless you speak the Canaanite language, it would only be a little description of what's really being prepared for those that are ready. Cool. I don't know what that part about the Canaanite language was. That didn't make sense to me, but maybe you can maybe you can write back to us, Javis, and explain that for me. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. It's it's going to be beyond what we could compare. You know, it's interesting. We for as much time as Christians talk about heaven, the Bible doesn't say very much about it at all. Like, isn't that what he means? I think by the Canaanite language, the oh, language of heaven. Is that well, Oh, is that what he's trying to say? Yeah. We don't know what the language of heaven is. Yeah. Exactly. Be. Got it. And okay. that's why, yeah. <laughs> I like, don't think, I hope it's not the Canaanite language because as far as I know, that had a lot of phlegm. <laughs> and I, I'm bad at that. But anyway, every, in California, they always tell you that the language of heaven is Spanish. The lingua del cielo. I don't it know is, if I said that right, but anyway. It is a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> one to listen to. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, we're going to get back to that a little bit later. So if you'd like to call or text in with your thoughts, you can do so by... The calling or texting on this number, 0491-064-669. And remember that you can call in for a, or with a question. And if you specifically call in with a question for our question of the week, the first caller in is going to receive a free copy of a book called Persuasion. And uh, it's, it's entitled How to Help People Decide for Jesus. Have you ever wanted to share your faith? And if that's the case, this might be the book for you. And it goes through and kind of talks through how in the world do we have conversations. Whoa. Hey, we're getting a caller right now. That's excellent news. Keep them coming, and we'll try and keep them off the off the the the, the radio ringtone. Anyway, 
You can call in or text in and get that free copy of that book if you're the first one with the question of the week uh, by calling 0491-064-669. You can text that as well. All right, so back into our Bible study. We are in verse 4, Exodus chapter 5, verse 4. And it says, Then the king of Egypt said to them, right, Moses and Aaron, interesting that he knows their names, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. So this is, this is full on, man. Like Pharaoh has responded by saying, Hey, look, you're, you're bothering me, Moses and Aaron. You're taking my, my, my slave labor, and they're not doing the work because they're listening to you. And my answer to your question my answer to this difficulty of uh, we want to go and do something is I've got the power and I'm going to demonstrate it. So let me demonstrate it to you by doing this. You you want to you want to talk about going away to do this stuff for your God here. How about how about how about here? How about this for a bit of a a power move, right? You got to do all the same work plus we're going to give you extra work. So we're not going to give you the ingredients to make bricks that you have to make. Now you've got to get the ingredients and make the same amount of bricks. And I think it's just really interesting to note this is this is a tactic that is often used by authoritarian leaders, right? We don't have a good reason to back up what we're saying, so we're going to push you to the brink so that you give up on fighting for what is fair and right and true and just, right? They didn't come and say, hey, we're, you're being unjust. We, we want to be set free from slavery. They just literally said, hey, we want to go and make some sacrifices to our God. We want to have the privilege to be able to do that. And Pharaoh Pharaoh's having not a bar of it. And so it's really fascinating to read this. And I think one thing to keep in mind is that there is nothing or very close if not (laughs) – it's very close to nothing if not nothing in this life that is worth doing that comes easy. And that's also true of things that God calls us to. And I think it's really important for us to remember that. Sometimes we give up so easily – and I'm so guilty of this in my personal spiritual walk, in my own personal life. We give up so easily. We want things that are great and grand. We want to achieve things that are fulfilling and valuable in life. And yet as soon as we get this this little scent, you know, just a little whiff that it's going to be difficult or we have one barrier, so often so many people like myself just just back away because there's difficulty. But we have to understand very little th- – there, there is very little in life that is worth doing that comes very easily. And that's true, again, of the spiritual walk. And so don't give up on the things that matter in your life that are worth doing just because you've hit a little bump in the road. Keep to the course. Moses and Aaron, we're keeping to the course, and we're going to find out how it works out. This is Lauren Daigle, Inevitable. On the days when the strength in my heart's given There's a light, but it hides from me deep in the cloud. There's a voice that I need, but I don't hear. 
did we come from? Where's the evidence? Do you have questions about creation and evolution? Would you like to have them answered by an expert in the field? You're invited to come and hear Dr. John Ashton, an expert scientist, an author, and a regular guest on the Faith FM Breakfast Show. Dr. Ashton will be sharing and taking your questions in Gloucester on Saturday, June the 12th. This will be happening at 10am at the Gloucester Seventh-day Adventist Church, 60 Barrington Street. Invite your friends and family to share their questions too. Remember, that's June the 12th at 10 a.m. at the Gloucester Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more information, contact Faith FM on 1-800-FAITH-FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Are you wondering what to do with the kids this school holidays? Do you live in Lake Macquarie? Well, if you have kids between the ages of 5 and 12, come join Coast Life Adventist Church's free Holiday Kids Club. That's a full week including crafts, games, stories, snacks, and more. Find us at Marks Point Community Hall the first week of school holidays, Monday, 28th of June to Friday, 2nd of July, from 10 a.m. to quarter past 12. For more information or to register, please call or text 410 877-920. That number again is 0410-877-920. Lord, I feel like going home. I tried and I failed and I'm tired 
You are listening to Faith FM. Wow, that, that was a really abrupt stop. I was I was still enjoying that guitar solo by Mark Knopfler on the Notting Hillbillies. But I forget what that song was called. It went off my screen. But anyway, welcome back. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and uh, this is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. Super excited to have you along for the ride. We are going to get right back into our Bible study in a moment. But before we do that, our discussion topic, I'd love to hear a couple more responses. And our discussion topic today is, what is your mansion going to be like in heaven? Okay, yeah, so that song was called um, I Feel Like Going Home, which I thought kind of lined up nice with our discussion topic. Love it. And um, The Nodding Hillbillies. Yeah, and uh, this one's a, probably our longest one, so we might just do this one on its own. But this one, Lyle said, For me, the fact that Jesus says, I prepare a mansion for you, rather than I'm building mansions for everyone, makes it incredibly personal. It indicates that he is putting thought into my tastes and preferences. As someone who knows me, Better than anyone else, I can trust him with that. I suspect it will be minimal in style with a large window, even a wall of glass and have water views. A fire in the corner for ambience and a big spa on the floor in front would be, also, would be nice. Lovely. Sorry, I was drinking some water there in the break, and I'm, I'm just coughing up a storm. I feel almost like we have to take another song so I can cough my lungs out. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, we, I think it's out of the system. That's beautiful. I love what Lyle said there about... About personalizing that personal touch, just the idea that that Jesus is making a place for me specifically, for you specifically, and really, re- I mean, really, when you look at the language of John fourteen one to three, which is where that comes from, that's that's the that's the whole idea behind it is that it's it's matrimonial or marriage language that Jesus is employing here, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna resist and not go there yet until we get a few more of the responses later in the show, but we're gonna go there and we're gonna have a look at that a little bit later and. Oh, so good. Awesome. Well, we're going to get back into our Bible study here in a moment, but I just wanted to encourage you. There's still time to get in with your questions for Question of the Week. Again, the first caller in is going to receive a free copy of a book called Persuasion by Mark Finley, How to Help People Decide for Jesus. So if you've ever wondered about how you can encourage your friends to, to towards making a decision one way or the other to make a decision for Jesus, this is going to help give you some tools in your toolkit to um, have those kinds of discussions. Anyway, we are back in Exodus chapter 5. Oh, sorry, you can do that by calling 0491-064-669. Forgot that, 0491-064-669. So we're back in Exodus. Pharaoh has just told Moses and Aaron, all right, this is going to be a bad deal. See you later. And he sent the taskmasters an order to say, give them more work to do, same quota, no more time. And let's see how they deal with it. And so we're in verse 10, and it says, And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So they don't have the same ingredients they have lesser lesser than ingredients, and they have to find it themselves and then still get the same amount of work done with those lesser ingredients. And the taskmasters force them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So I want you to note, in case you missed it, not only were they being forced to do more work, but now even the people who are in charge of them, the Israelites who are in charge of little groups of Israelites, right? The people who are, who are put into a position of managing within that space amongst the slaves, they're being beaten 
right? They're being physically assaulted, not just verbally abused, but physically abused because they're failing to meet the quotas. And all of this comes as a response to Moses and Aaron coming to ask Pharaoh, can we go and do as God has told us to do? So they followed what God has said. They've come and spoken those words. They had the conversation with Pharaoh. They didn't bow out. They said a second time, hey, we're, we, we, we are, <clears throat> excuse me, we want to be faithful to our God rather than faithful to you. And this is the response. And I want you to think about this. There are times in life where when we choose to follow God, we get abused. When we're doing what's right, abuse will come from those in power who want to get us to give up on the things that we believe in, to give up on the things that are right and true and just and fair, and to bend and capitulate to do as they would have us do. And this is the pressure that's coming on to the Israelites. And the question is, how are they going to respond to that? And we'll find out after this. This is Chris Renzema, Caught in the Reeds. I saw a burning bush, a flaming silhouette in the night. If I'm standing on holy ground, I'm living on borrowed time. You said I am who I am I was your boat in the Nile All I know is there's blood on my hands Just that river's bastard child Oh, 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 oh. I talk to God like a friend Doubted him, saw the ocean split wide and still wondered why. I still find it so hard to believe, and why my heart still gets caught in those reeds. I've seen signs and Why do I keep on doubting? 
You are listening to Faith FM. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. And uh, before we get any further, we're going to go through a couple more discussion topics. So the question today is, what is your mansion going to be like in heaven? And if you'd like to get in on that discussion, you can call or text us at 0491-064-669. All right, what do we have for us, Shell? Okay, so Russell says, I like the voice translation of John 14, too. My father's home is designed to accommodate all of you. If there were not room for everyone, I would have told you that. I am going to make arrangement for your arrival. Not so much about a mansion, more about inclusion. Love it. That's cool. And Andy says, I would say the word rooms has more meaning to me as a mansion by, by Ooh. myself. Ooh, got a Greek scholar there, eh? <laughs> um, and yeah, and so he would like his room to be filled with with lots of people who he loves. Love it. Um, and then we've got Vincent who says, like a garden for, I would like a garden for mine, please. And I think that we've just got one, one more that we can fit in here. Daniel says, I don't care if it's a trap hanging over a stick in the corner. Just being there will be, be glorious. <laughs> I love it. That was, that was pretty descript. That was good. So, all right. I can't, I can't hold back anymore. Uh, somebody mentioned the rooms thing. So, so I'm going to flip there while, we, while we're at it. So here are my thoughts. I love it. I love hearing from you guys. It's great. So my thoughts on this is um, that in John chapter 14, where Jesus says this, he says in verse 1, he says, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, and in this translation it says mansions, but... I think it's really important to note here that when you you look at what that word is in the Greek, it, it doesn't mean mansions as we see the word mansion. In uh, in the Greek, it literally means dwellings. And when you think about the way that the the, the matrimonial language that he's using, you know, I, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come and get you so that you may be where I am. And this is, this is marriage language, right? Like the way that they would do this in the first century in the Hebrew context is that they would, a couple would get betrothed, they'd get engaged, and then the man would go away after the agreeance that they were going to get married. He would go and add on an additional room essentially to his father's house and build on what would become their place. And once that was suitably ready, then they would have his father would give approval, and he would come back to get his bride. There would be a party, a celebration. They would take them back, and the bride would come back to the house and be with the, her husband where he was. And what's really fascinating about this is that sometimes when we talk about this mansions thing, I think we get caught up in the idea that, oh, it's it's about the thing. But what Jesus is saying here is it's not about the thing. It's not about the place. It's not about having the stuff. It's actually it's it's relational language. And I, so I love what some of you guys have said on there about it doesn't matter what the room is like. It matters that I get to be with Jesus. And that's the whole point. He's saying, I'm promising to go and make a place in my father's home for us to be together, for us to dwell as a, as a people. I will be your God. You will be my people. And we will be together face to face forever. And that's the idea that's in there. So when I think about this and I think about what's my mansion going to be like, well, my thoughts are, well, I don't think it's going to be a mansion. I think it's going to be a room perhaps 
But do we even need rooms? It says we don't need to sleep. Who knows what it's going to be like? But the point is it's going to be with Jesus, and that's what makes it all worthwhile. So those are my thoughts. Anyway, you're entitled to your thoughts. Uh, you can think about it. It's great because it doesn't give us much description. We just know that there's a new Jerusalem. You can read about that in Revelation. Anyway, we're going to get back into our Bible study. I got off on a tangent there a little bit. And we are in Exodus chapter 5. How are the Israelites going to respond to this ill treatment? And it says in verse 15, Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh. These are the ones who were beaten saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? In other words, why are you dealing this way with us? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. So they're standing up against the injustice. They're coming out and they're saying, look, we're, we're doing the right thing, and we're getting beaten for trying to do what we can do. It's your people's fault. Why are we being abused for what your people are doing? How is Pharaoh going to respond to this? Pharaoh's going to respond by saying, in verse 17, but he said, you are idle. And then he repeats himself, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And after this, it says that the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Why, why are they in trouble? Well, because they can't do it. It's, it's impossible for them to achieve this goal. And so they've gone to Pharaoh. They've tried this avenue. They've gone to an unjust ruler, and they've been given unjust treatment. How are they going to deal with this? Are they going to bend over to, the, to the, the ruling leader, or are they going to look towards God? What are they going to do? And it says in verse 20, then... As they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Isn't this fascinating? God speaks to Moses and he calls him and he says, you go and Deliver this people. I've chosen you. I'm going to hear. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this miracle. They're going to be set free. And they're met with difficulty. And the people who are now being abused by trying to follow what God has said, they've gone back to Moses and they say, it's your fault. Look what you have done. The messenger of God, you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh. And now look, you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. It's your fault. And isn't it interesting that the person who has been sent by God to deliver them is being maltreated, not by just the enemy, but also by the people he came to save. Does that sound a little bit familiar to the life of Jesus? Abused by his enemies, but also abused by his very own people that he came to save. And we see a picture of Jesus being employed here. And how is Moses going to respond to this? Let's find out after this. What a friend for sinners Jesus, lover of my soul Friends may fail me, foes assail me He, my Savior, makes me whole Hallelujah 
You're listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Robbie Morgan on Real Faith, and uh, we're coming. We're, all, we're coming close, coming close to Question of the Week. I just want to do another shameless plug. Thanks also for your discussion responses, and um, there's still time to get in a question for Question of the Week. We'd love to hear from you. You can call or text in at zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. 0491-064-669. First caller today is going to receive a free copy of a book called Persuasion by Mark Finley, which is about how to help people decide for Jesus. So if you like to have that tool up your sleeve to help you in your conversations with friends that you want to share Jesus with, call in with a question. You can get in on that. We'd love to hear from you with any question that you've got. Um, all right, so back into it. How is Moses going to respond, right? Moses has been called by God. He stepped in. He's... He's gone through this whole discussion with God about not wanting to do this, but he eventually just dragging his feet, almost kicking and screaming, it seems. He has accepted the task, the call, and then he goes, and on his first mission, 
It's it's just not going to plan. It doesn't look like it's going to go well. And not only that, not only has it not gone well with Pharaoh, it's also not gone well with the people he's trying to save uh, because they're they're blaming him now, blaming him and Aaron, saying it's your fault that we're going through this difficulty. So he's been rejected by Pharaoh, and he's now being rejected by the people he came to save. There's some parallels there that remind us a little, a lot of the story of Jesus. And how is Moses going to deal with this? How would you deal with this? How would I deal with this? What do we do when we face these challenges? And I can tell you the first person that I'd want to be talking to about this is God. And that's exactly what Moses does. So check this out. Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Woo! Those are some strong words, aren't they? And I want to, this just, this is so profound to me, especially, you know, as a person who has been involved in different levels of leadership. There are times where we are doing what we believe God has called us to be doing. And the things that God has promised to take place don't seem to be happening. <clears throat> and people are, are rejecting what we're, what we're bringing to them. The people that we're trying to help are rejecting us, saying it's our fault that there's difficulties. Where do we go with that? We go to God. And I love that Moses does this, but look at the way that Moses goes to God. He doesn't go to God saying, oh, praise the Lord, it's good, it's all, everything's excellent, we thank, um, thank you so much, and he's got so much faith. The, the reality is Moses comes to God with questions, and it sounds like he's coming to God with some doubts, and he's, he's got some difficulties. And, I, and just check this out. He says, why? Why? Twice in this, in this passage he says, why, God? Why? Why have, you, why have you brought trouble? Point number one, Moses' understanding is misplaced. The trouble, he says, is from God. Why have you put trouble? Now, hang on a second. That's not fair, is it? Who brought trouble on the people? God or Pharaoh, who's responding to what God has said? And the reality is it's Pharaoh. And the, the truth is that there are lots of times in this life where we put the atrocities that are happening in the world, we blame them on God because he's not, he's not stopping something from happening. And so because he's not stopping something, therefore it must be his fault. And that's kind of the reasoning that Moses is arguing here with God about. What's going on? Like, you've, you've brought this trouble. The reality is that negates, that doesn't take into account the reality that Pharaoh has free will. He can choose what he does. And he's in a position of power and authority. And God is allowing some things to take place. And the reality is there are times in this life where God will allow suffering to take place when we don't think it should be taking place, and it's not fair. And sometimes God allows our suffering to continue because God's got a bigger plan and an ultimate plan that is not just about us. Second Peter 3, verse 9, I think it is, it says, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some consider slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I love this point because the reality is God cares more than just about his people in this, in this story, right? Because all people are God's people in a sense. God created everybody. Do you think that God's goal here is bigger than just Israel? Is, is it perhaps in God's big, broad plan 
that even Pharaoh and all of Egypt would come to repentance and walk away from falsehood, from these, these false ideas that they're perpetuating that are controlling their life, to come to a reality of the truth of who God is, of a, a real understanding of how the universe works. And I love this. This is the God that, that Moses doesn't quite understand yet, that, but this is who that God is. God cares about even Pharaoh. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Do you enjoy listening to Faith FM? We'd love to hear your story. Let us know on our website at faithfm.com.au or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let's connect today. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show.
You're listening to Faith FM. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. And Shell, I'm wondering, what time is it? I love it. <laughs> All right. So question of the week. Super excited. Um, what is our question today? Have we got that for us, Shell? I do indeed. So our question today is coming from Matthew. It says, please demonstrate that your God is real without using faith and emotion. All right. So interesting question. Thank you, Matthew, very much. And uh, we'll do our best to answer that. Look, I... I think the reality is, and I'm going to I want to put this preface out there before I say anything, and um, hopefully that's helpful. I think it's important to to think about whenever we ask the questions about faith, about evidence, about proof. Um, I, th- I think it's really important for us to identify that it is very difficult in any realm to really have what I would call a proof beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? We have evidences that work together towards providing clues towards a conclusion. But even when we have repeated evidences over and over and over again, for example, there have been many scientific hypotheses over the years that have been demonstrable through through different experiments and through different models and modes, and they seem to be true until – Something else is discovered, and all of a sudden that hypothesis has been totally totally worked out, ruled out, and now we've got a new proof, and they call it a proof, right? So I, th- I think it's just really interesting for us to think about that, and I'm not, using, I'm not trying to use that as a cop-out. I just – I think it's really important that when we think about proof and evidence that we make a distinction. Merriam-Webster defines proof as the cogency or connectedness of evidence that compels acceptance by the mind – of a truth or a fact. And I love that this is uh, this is really helpful, I think, for us in talking about a proof. Point number one, it says that the evidence or evidences are cogent. They work together, they mesh, they make sense, and they point towards a compelling position. The reality is that a proof is not, by this definition, is not something that is that there's there's no question ever about. It's not something that there there can't be room for doubt. It's something that the facts that that we see, the evidences point towards something being the compelling position to hold as truth. Um, the, the second definition that it gives is the process or an instance of establishing the validity of a statement, especially by derivation from other statements in accordance with principles of reasoning. In other words, these things logically line up, they match together, and this is the best conclusion that we can make from the evidence. And I think this is significant. Because a lot of the time, when people ask questions about about this kind of thing, we're looking for something that is based on a a, a, a position. For example, you might have imperial evidence, but you also you know such as measurements, physical, tangible measurements of things, such as heat or temperature or weight or mass. These are imperial measurements, and those are a certain type of evidence. But we have other types of evidence that are used in court. For example, there's evidences of eyewitness testimony. And prior to the invention of the video camera or the photograph, there were times where that was as good as it got. You have in ancient law books, such as the Old Testament here, or I, I, I'm not as familiar with Hammurabi's law as, as, as I can 
I can't remember, but I, there are many other ancient law books where it says, on the eyewitness testimony of X amount of people, we will believe something to be true, right? So eyewitness testimony is another line of evidence, another line of reasoning. So there are other things that you can have in there. But guess what? Sometimes eyewitness testimony sees something, perceives something, and then later other facts come to the to the surface and, and demonstrate that the eyewitness misunderstood or misinterpreted things. So there's all sorts of things that happen in this, but the reality is that a proof is a cogent mixture of enough evidence that leads to a compelling conclusion that compels someone to believe something. So there are many people who believe in many different things. How do we demonstrate then that God is real? How do we provide a proof I, albeit, I know, Matthew, you didn't use the word proof in there, by the way. But I think it's just, it's really important for me in my own head that I think that's in, important for us to, to realize. So, number one, I can't prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that God exists. What I can do is I can provide evidences that I find compelling. Number one, there are lots of evidences that we could put forward. It's hard to do that in the short space of time that we have. Um, and they may not be compelling to everyone. They may not be enough to convince everyone to to go along with them. But these are some of the things that I find compelling. Number one, prophetic evidence. Um, I think that there is significant evidence in the writings of Scripture where we see things that were written about that were written about, you know, six hundred, you know, five six hundred BC by Daniel that we have confirmed in the Qumran scrolls that date back at least to the second century BC at the earliest. That's the earliest that the most skeptical scholars can date that, and the other scholars date it. Much later, sorry, sorry, much much earlier, I should say, um, closer to the events of Babylon, right? But but these prophecies of Daniel are included there, and those prophecies go well and truly beyond the second century. They go well and truly beyond to other corroborating evidence that we see from the reality of the world that we look in historical, secular historical books, and we see the the Roman Empire that was preceded by the Greek Empire, by the Persians, by the Babylonians that we can see the falling apart of the Roman Empire as evidenced in Daniel 7, in Daniel 11, that history matches these things so, so closely that until the Qumran scrolls were were found and discovered, the position of secular scholars was this had to be made up because it's too accurate. And there are many, many things like that. So that's one line of reasoning that I find very convincing, that there's something to the Bible that's beyond human comprehension and beyond human composition, I should say. Um, some other things that I find personally very compelling are the eyewitness testimony that we have of the early apostles in the early church. To believe what they believed and to be willing to die for it, they were convinced beyond a shadow of doubt, really. you know, They were convinced of it. Does that mean that it was necessarily true? Not necessarily, but it's pretty convincing that that number of people who knew the facts and the details, who saw these things, whatever they were that happened— they were willing to die for it and live ignominious deaths, experience ignominious deaths because of that. That's pretty compelling to me. Um, the accuracy of the manuscripts of the New Testament to the original, that we have more evidence for them being the original scripture, etc., than we do for any other historical work. These are all things that I find convincing. Um, proximity of the writings to the date of their occurrence, the spread of Christianity in, in that time period because of that. While there were other eyewitnesses who would have been able to counteract and contradict the message if they were in the false, um, these are all things that I find compelling. But the reality is the thing that I find the most compelling, and this is the honest truth, is that what what my understanding of who God is has done in my own life 
is more compelling to me than anything else because I have not seen anything else in my life and I have tried a number of things and in the lives of many other people that I've witnessed. I just have seen the word of God prove to to be powerful enough to transform a life in ways that I have not seen anything else transform so many lives so consistently in so many ways. And that to me is the most compelling evidence now again, I'm not saying that these this that this structure creates a 100% fail proof proof as we would think about it, but the reality is according to the definition of what a proof is, these things match up and create a cogent connected compelling structure and framework of evidence that leads me to think that the conclusions are that God is real and God exists.
You're listening to Faith FM. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan, and uh, welcome back to the show. We are super excited to have you. And um, I just there were some other things that came to my mind. I don't know if you're still listening, Matthew, but thank you so much for your question. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but you know something that really that really strikes me is I, I love this passage. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him." And when you think about Jesus' own ministry, I look at Jesus' ministry and I don't I don't see him just dealing with the intellectual aspect. Because the reality is there, no matter what your worldview, about origins, about all sorts of things, the reality is there are questions that that are difficult to answer. And the reality is that there are questions that we all face in life about human suffering. And, and oftentimes that's a very personal thing because we've experienced real human suffering in our own life, in the lives of those we love. And we, we have a difficult time making sense of that because the reality is it's difficult to make sense of it because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And whatever the worldview is, I think we have to ask ourselves, which, you know, what are the best answers? And I don't mean just logically. Those, that's important. What are the best answers logically? But what are also the best answers from the point of view of livability, what what are the answers that give us change and direction in life that helps us to manage and to make sense of the suffering that goes on in the world, that give us the ability to make sense of and understand where we're going in life and to live a fulfilling and meaningful and other-centered life? How, what what are the answers that that deal that deal with those things and give us something to look forward to and to work for? And to make a real difference in this world. And I think that when we look at those things, we, we realize that demonstrating God is not just a matter of an infallible imperial position. Because the reality is there isn't, there isn't an, a totally infallible imperial demonstration um, of most things, in fact. But the reality is when we look at that line of evidence and we look at these other lines of evidence, what are the things that really make these things happen? What are the answers that really make the most sense of all of these things? And I love that Jesus' own invitation wasn't just you know, a sermon, wasn't just a, an intellectual discourse. It was come and see. Come and see. They said, Jesus, where, you know, where, where is it that you're staying? He's come and see. And his invitation to so many people was, let's, let's go on a relational experience. Let's, let's work through this and let's come and see and, and see if I can demonstrate to you in multiple areas that I've got the answers to the questions that you've got. And I, I just I think that's an invitation that God makes to each of us wherever we've been, whether we've journeyed with Him before or not, whether we are are new to faith or or old to faith. I think that's a question that that God is asking to all of us: come and see. Um, anyway, I hope that's a helpful. I hope that's helpful to you. May God bless you. Um, all right, application time. What can we draw out of this? So we've we're basically stopping mid story. So next week we're going to find out how does God respond to Moses's questions of why. But I just wanted to make a couple of quick comments and some applications. So in that conversation in, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Moses says, Why have you brought trouble? We spoke, I think, enough of that. But then he says, Why is it that you have sent me? Why, God? Why did you send me here? And I don't know about you, but I have asked God that question many times before. I've gone to places. I've gone to far-off places in the world and, and gone because I believed it's where I was supposed to be, where I was called by God to be, and struggled and ask God the question in this tiny little outer island in the Marshall Islands, for example, and say, why? Why did you send me here? What is the point? 
this is too difficult. It's not making sense. None of the things that I expected you to do based on what you promised seem to be happening. Why did you send me here? And I love the honesty in Moses' conversation because so often the Christian experience is demonstrated in such a way that we forget that it's okay to be honest with God. There are difficult things to process in life. And I tell you what, I've been following Jesus for the last 15, nearly 16 years, and there are questions that I have that I don't have answers to. There are difficulties in life that I don't understand. There are things in my life and in my head and in my thinking that, that I haven't, haven't been able to have victory over that, that I, I want to understand. How, what's going on, God? There's so many things that are still there, still left to uncover. And I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from this, but it shows us real people who really wrestle and struggle with God, and it demonstrates that it's okay to have questions. And the most important thing to do with your questions is to take them to the right person. Take them to Jesus and wrestle them out with him. The whole book of Job is about that. So I think that's really valuable. And then that God has not done anything at all, Moses says. And it appears that way at the surface, and maybe he hasn't done anything yet. We're going to find out what God's response is to that question next week. But application, what can we take out of this for a real practical life? Number one, not much worth doing in this life comes easily, even things that God calls us to do. So if you expect that there's going to be difficulty and trouble in doing something that has nothing to do with God's plan and purpose, then expect that there's also going to be difficulty and struggle in doing anything that in includes God's purposes. And understand that God is not going to remove all suffering from you, but he's going to be with you through the suffering. Some other things that I think we can take out of this are that in the midst of suffering, there might be more suffering. <laughs> and, and following God is not always going to be an easy path. But when we cling to God, in time we see that he fulfills all his promises, that God is a God who delivers. And God is a God who we can ask questions to. And so I just want to encourage you today, whatever you're going through in your life, God is big enough to take it. God's shoulders are big enough to deal with your questions, your concerns, your quandaries. And rather than letting those things sit undercover, bring them to him. Bring them to him and, and let him start to work through those things. It may take time. It may not look the way you think. But in the end, we know that his promises hold true. And that's what we can see coming in the end of this story. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your, in your life, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, Bring, bring whatever it is to God. Talk to him about it. Listen for his voice, and he will speak to you. He doesn't, he doesn't walk away from the conversation with Moses, and neither will he walk away from the conversation with you. All right, guys, well, that's it for the show today. Stick around for drive time. It's coming up next. And for our discussion topic for next week, the question is, what is one question that you'd like to ask God? Whew, it's going to be a big question. So whatever's going on, remember, my friends, as you go throughout your week, real faith is lived faith.